get started. You have your white sheets from last time, uh, which has uh, God's love for us. Uh, we started our new study uh, in which we were taking a look at the term love, primarily with the Old Testament, and uh, uh, going forward uh, from there. Uh, and so you have uh, you've got those pages uh, that are there. Um, I'm going to do a little bit of review of what we looked at last time, as well as a review of what I wanted to look at last time, which is kind of new material. Um, and and then we're going to push forward. I'm going to take a look at the. Uh, peak sheet and move into the second topic, which is man's love for God. But let's take a look at this, uh, God's love for us. I gave you a, another sheet. It's got page five at the bottom. This will serve as a bit of review. What did we see? I introduced the topic last time and talked about love. Uh, it is, at its basis level, to have pleasure in something. Love, to have pleasure in something. We saw that it's used in regard to things, and usually when it is used in regard to objects or things, uh, that love takes the seizure of the object is what it does. And so, if you uh, love flowers, you want to have them, you want to grab them, you want to uh, grow them, you want to keep them. If it is chocolate, you wish to seize it and put it in your mouth, um, you want to have it. That's with an object. We saw that love can be uh, together with actions. That is with an infinitive, to do something. I love to play golf. If it is about an action, usually then it's not the seizure, but the performance of the action. I want to go golfing. I want to practice golfing. I want to read about golfing. I want to, uh, um, it is to, once again, and, and it still has that kind of idea of seizing. I've kind of held off on uh, that which is, in regard to persons, but you can already see that there is with that as well. As I mentioned, those other two are kind of metaphors for what is the real thing uh, as it relates between people and people, and so there is a desire for uh, the, uh, the other to have pleasure in, uh, to seize, to be with, uh, to, we're going to talk about performance, we're going to talking about uh, being together with, uh, doing things with. Anyway, we'll get to that uh, as, we, as we go forward. Um, so that just set the, kind of the basis. What I really wanted to get to is God's love for us. And so we took a look, love is described, it can be described as a desire or an emotion. Uh, some might even call it a kind of spontaneous feeling. In other words, this isn't something that you work up. Uh, this is something that you know comes from a, a will or, or a desire. 
and it impels to a, and we talked about, self-giving. And so love, and it all depends on how it is used. We have to take a look at the context of it as we are looking at these words for love. It can either be that desire or emotion, which is going to cause self-giving, but simply desire. It can be described, love could be actually be the action of the self-giving, and, well, that comes from the desire of the emotion. So you can see how it, it, it can be kind of one or, or the other, but it, it pretty well always includes both, or it's going to lead at least to the second. Uh, and so we see that kind of thing. When we speak about God's love for man, very important, it is the result of his, his person. Uh, we might say his essence, that is, who he is. When God loves, it, it's, it's, not, we, it, it's not that God sees something in us that is lovable. It comes from him, from who he is. He is. And so, and I, I kind of went to some New Testament passages because they illustrate it so well. Um, you know, as we're looking at Old Testament passages, we are we also are looking at the shadow or the reality comes through in the New Testament. So a lot of things which are there but may be shadowy or vague come to very clear, sharp resolution in the New Testament. Uh, he who does not love does not know God, and it describes God... For God is love. It's his essence. It's who, he, it's who he is. It's what he does. Um, why does he do it? Because that's who he is. Uh, he can't but be that which is the loving God. On the one hand, this desire or emotion, if we want to speak that way about God, again, uh, God is not a, a, a human being, but he, he often describes himself to us in those ways. Uh, this desire or emotion comes within his person and causes self-giving. That John 3.16, which we looked at last time, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You can see that the desire, the emotion, his essence, his that which is inside him is desiring his love and then that causes the self-giving of his only son. So it can be spoken about as, as a desire. It can also be spoken about as God's act of self-giving, which is the result of his desire. First John 4, a little bit uh, uh, later from, from this one. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Quite interesting, uh, this first one seems to be a kind of his desire for us, and then he does it, as we saw here. But then when it finally comes down here, it leaves that part off and simply says, if God so loved us, and we would say, by sending his son, he's talking about the whole thing, um, if he loved us in this way, we also ought to love one another. It's got to be talking about the self-giving, what he did. Otherwise, it would be, because God had this desire, we ought to just have a desire. No, 
because God did something, we ought to do something. And so he puts it together with that. So, um, uh, this illustrates for us uh, at least a little bit of the ways that love is used with regard to that. We did see last time, and this is about as far as we got, we saw that most of the time, God's love for man, and I said, is simply described as pity for the needy. And so usually in that context, it's described as the pity for the needy by a God who is merciful. It talks about God being merciful and then what he does. Although the term love is not absent in the Old Testament, and we've seen you know, four pages of it that I pulled out, and I, and I only use certain ones, but I'll just say there's not a lot. In fact, I told you it didn't come for a long time. Uh, uh, even the first use of love in, in any way it wasn't until Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible. Um, the description of God's self-giving love for us may use other words other than love. And yet, if we looked at those, we would say, well, yeah, that's, that's love. And, and the New Testament shows us that. The New Testament explains those passages in terms of God's love. In fact, we saw a word loving kindness, uh, God's chesed, and, and we looked at that for a little bit at the very end. But, so, what were a couple of those? We saw that in Deuteronomy 10, verse 15, that God's love often had the effect of his election, or we would say his choosing, uh, his taking the fathers and making a covenant with them, coming to them. So we have like an illustration of Abraham, who is in the land of Ur, his fathers worshipped other gods, and God comes to him and chooses him and says to him, uh, you know, you're going to worship me and I'm going to send you to a land which is not your own and you're going to leave your father's house and I'm going to send you the Savior. Uh, it is what's his doing. So, Deuteronomy 10:15. the Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples as it is this day. So when we see about God's love... He's describing, what Moses is describing is that God is loving his people. And so you say, well, why is he, why is he loving me? Once again, it's, it's not because we're so lovable, or, or they were. He says, well, God is showing love to you. He's doing all these wonderful things. He brought you out of Egypt. He's leading you to the promised lands. He's put up with your uh, uh, turning to a false god. Look at all this love he's done. Do you know why he did that? Because he chose your fathers. There you go. Oh, wow. Um, In other words, this is all comes from his person, not because we deserve it. This love that he has, as I mentioned, deals with showing mercy and love. Exodus 20, uh, I was showing you in the, uh, let's see, in the passage... I think I included the whole thing. Um, nope. I guess I better stay there with my new one. Uh, with Exodus 20, which is the Ten Commandments. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing mercy, that's the chesed, or chesed to thousands and to those who love me and keep my commandments. Uh, this 
showing mercy is none other than love. That, that's exactly what it's describing. And that's the usual way that it, that it describes it. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to at least illustrate and, and maybe explain why that's usually the way it happens. Uh, to go ahead and, and show you my card, when we talk about love, it is always love in relation to something. And that thing, object, person, and that person may be different people or whatever, it, it, it always, the love is determined by the object. That is, it's appropriate. What, you know, what would be the appropriate love? Well, it all depends upon the object. Uh, the love, and, and just to kind of give you, the love that I show to my wife and the love to, uh, that I show to my neighbor's wife, it's different based upon the object. Same thing when it comes to God. God, the object, is sinful man. How will that love come about? It's in showing mercy. Of course it is. Um, so we'll go on. Um, the Lord in, in uh, Proverbs 8.17, um, I love those who love me and those who seek me will diligently find me. As we move forward to talk about uh, those who love me, we find that, and once again, note, I love, here is, I show mercy to those who love me. I love those who love me. Those are parallel. And that's why you can see that the showing of mercy is none other than God's love towards towards us. Mary? I love those who love me. We are supposed to love our enemies. And they don't love us. And they are unlovable. And many times they're trying to kill us. Can you say more about what God means when he says he loves those who love him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, our first study deals with God's love for us. The second study, which we're going to push into, is going to be believers' love for God. The third study is going to be believers' love for the neighbor, the stranger, uh, those who hate us. Yes, will I say something about that? On the third study, I will give you lots about that. But we got to set the, the, the beginning. So, um, we'll get there. Good too far ahead. We'll get there. Um, but, but it, it, you know, those are the kind of, uh, obviously, what I presented is leading you to that, and that's why. Because it, it it has it has to be that way. It has to do that. So, can, can, can I make a comment? Yes. I think that using desire as a thought for God is sort of misleading us, because God does not desire things like we desire things. Uh, <coughs> Whenever I desire something, it's going to get me in trouble. But, but love, God's love, God is love. He's the source of love. There is no love outside of God. Okay? 
And I think it's I think it's important for us to remember that when we talk about God desiring us, it's not the same thing as us desiring something. Because when we desire something, we're going to do anything to get it. Well, when God desires something, he does everything to get it. That's just his nature. Our nature is different. And we have to remember that when we're dealing with God love those who love him. He loves us even when we sin. In Psalm 32 last week, if you, if you use your daily devotions, that's a perfect example of what that's talking about. David cries out about his sin. He cries out about God's mercy. Psalm 51 is the same way. Psalm 23. All of, all of those psalms talk about the sinner desiring God. And when they desire God, what do they do? They cry out, Lord, help me. When I have a problem with loving my neighbor, what 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 is the biblical example of God that God gives me for solving that problem? Lord, have mercy on me. And that never that's the way God always deals with us, and that if you want to deal with God, you can't hold up your good works. You have to hold up the fact that you need mercy. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God doesn't need mercy. What he does is always right. And we don't understand that, but it's true. Amen. With your study last time, at the very beginning of the page... Um, I did have that Exodus 20. talked about those who shares mercy to those who love him. Then we got into, and we saw Deuteronomy 7, last part of our review. When it goes on to talk here, and it says, you know, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. You've now become a, a part of his church. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. There's his choosing, what he did a special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. And then it goes on to say, the Lord did not, and I mentioned to you, it was a different word than love, but it was to set his love. He set his love on you. Nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you the least of all the people, but because the Lord loves you, because you would keep, and it goes on to talk about uh, uh, those things, this set his love set his love upon us. So in today's uh, review of it, when we have a God who has chosen us, who has shown mercy upon us, we say that God's love is not fickle. It's not just, you know, oh, for a little bit. and like, No, he, Pastor Ren says he has mercy upon us continually, uh, even those who are believers. And he has attached himself to us set his love upon us. Uh, why did the Lord set his love upon us? Well, you know, it's not because of who you are, it's because of his promise. Now, that is a great comfort for us. It's a great comfort for us because we always are going, well, how do I know God loves me? 
Well, if you look inside yourself, you'll never know. But if you look to the promise and his choosing and whatever, you say, well, yes, he does. Today in the uh, gospel reading, we're going to have the Canaanite woman who comes to Jesus, and she's asking to have her daughter healed, and it appears that Jesus, uh, you know, first silence, then he says something, then he says something. It appears like he's not going to, to answer. If you are going to look to yourself, she should have walked away and said, that guy's not going to help me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care. But she doesn't. She trusts in who he is. Note who he is. I know that he's loving. I know that he wants to help. He has not sent me away. And she is persistent. She perseveres in that because she trusts in the promise. For us, too, we trust in God's choosing, even when it appears that God's not listening. It's not. So that's, that's what we have with him setting his love. It's, 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 a, it's a permanent thing uh, that God is, is doing. At the very end, we had a little bit of discussion. What about God's love for the world? And uh, in the midst of the Bible class, you, you came up with five, six different examples of people, of Bible passages, of ways in which God's love for not just the Jews, but for the Gentiles. Um, I included uh, not only the John 17 one, uh, which is quite clear. Once again, the New Testament makes it so clear. I and them and you and me that they may be perfect in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them. I've loved the world just as you have loved me. Uh, there are other passages, again, not always with the word love, but uh, where God wants all the earth to fear him and, and to stand in awe of him. The Lord is good to all. Sends his rain upon the just and the unjust. He provides his tender mercies. Uh, and he's always calling the nations, just as we see in the Nook Dimittis, that there be a light to uh, the Gentiles. To give you just a little picture of that, when we have... When we have God's love and the object is the world, you know, some, some would ask about, well, what, what about, you know, not the chosen, but what about the world? What about unbelievers in, included? If it is for the world, he desires all to be saved, and so we say, well, well what did this will of God, the one who loved the world, what did he do? He sent his son Jesus. Well, what does that mean that he sent his son Jesus for them? Is that loving the world, sending his son Jesus? Well, yeah, he sent his son Jesus to the Jews in order that they would be a light to the Gentiles and that, therefore, by that proclaiming Jesus, all who believe would be saved. That's what we mean by that. That's what he's doing for everyone, for the entire world, Jew and Gentile alike. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that he is causing the law to be preached that people might have repentance and he's causing the gospel to be preached that they might come to faith. That's what we mean. That's what he's doing for the world because he wants them to be saved. Uh, When we talk about God's love for uh, believers, what does he do to those who have heard that message 
and repent and believe in Christ. Well, he is giving out forgiveness. His love is showering forgiveness on him. He's strengthening the faith that he has created in them. He is coming to abide with them. We're going to see these passages where he says, those who love me, we will live with you. My Father and I will come and be with you. Uh, God's love towards believers is he's going to answer their prayers. Again, for unbelievers, they're not going to pray to him. They don't believe in him. They don't. But, but for believers, that love is shown in the answering of prayer. And as we move forward to the next section, he's going to give them a new heart. His love towards believers is going to give them a new will. What does that mean to have a new heart, a new will? It means he's going to give them the very love that he requires. He's going to give them a love back to him. He's going to give them uh, good works that they might walk in them. Uh, This also comes, as you can see, from God, and it comes because of his love for them. So those are the, uh, depending upon the object, it's a little bit different. Um, Most of the time, as the scriptures are speaking uh, of these things, as they are speaking of these things, most of the time, this God's love towards, towards anything is usually talking about this. It does talk about this. Not usually in terms of love, but it does. Um, but you can see that those are uh, distinct, and they're a little bit different. So as we go through, you might note, or I'll, I'll try to make mention, that some of these passages are speaking in that way uh, about it. So that gets us through our kind of uh, review. If you want to go back to your study from last time, I did, if you want to go over to uh, page three, page three is the one that has believers' love for God. Believers' love for God. Uh, That's where we're going to start. Um, I did, uh, as I took a little more study this week, trying to be a little more clear. Um, I did add, and I put in yellow, a uh, passage that, that you don't have. I added a little under this one, a little under this one. But, because our discussion about man's love for God is going to require some real specific language, otherwise uh, we're going to confuse justification, which is an is important thing. We don't want to get messed up. I produced for you a page, it is the pink sheet, and I simply want to walk through it with you. All of these things are uh, statements, they are doctrines, they're, they're true statements, and as we speak about these things, they must remain true. You can't negate any of them uh, as you uh, teach about this. So, let's make sure that we know some of these things. First of all, when we talk about love, first thing on that page, love is the fulfillment of the law. The Ten Commandments require us to do a whole bunch of things. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall not misuse his name. You shall, all of the, if we could summarize those, and and Jesus, Paul does it uh, in, in, in the New Testament, says, the fulfillment of the law. If we could keep the law, we would be loving. You would love God, you would love your neighbor. 
Um, that is true. Love is the fulfillment of the law. If you could perfectly love, you could keep the commandments. Okay, so tell me, can you keep the commandments? Absolutely not. So can you perfectly love? Nope, absolutely not. Got it. Next. That means that love cannot make us righteous. You cannot be saved by love. Love doesn't save you. Okay? Um, So, our book of Concord says, they are right, it's referring to uh, uh, the Roman church, they are right when they say that love is the keeping of the law, and obedience to the law certainly is righteousness. If you could keep the law perfectly, you would be righteous. But they are mistaken when they think that we are justified by the law. We are not. We're not justified by the law. We are not justified by the law, but we receive forgiveness of sins and reconciliation by faith for Christ's sake, not for the sake of the law or the keeping of the law. From this it necessarily follows that we are justified by faith in Christ. So, love is the fulfillment of the law. If you could perfectly love, you would be righteous. Obviously we can't. Thus, love does not make us righteous. Point two. No one loves God as he ought, as we said. If faith receives forgiveness of sins on account of love, the forgiveness of sins will always be unsure. For we never love as much as we should. In fact, we do not love at all unless our hearts are sure that the forgiveness of sins has been granted to us. So, first thing. If... We are not sure of the forgiveness of sins. If we're not a believer, it says you can't even love at all. Can't do it. It says, and if you do have faith, you probably never love as much, not probably, you don't ever love as much as you should. Um, So he goes on to say, if our opponents require us to trust in our own love for the forgiveness of sins and justification, they completely abolish the gospel of the free forgiveness of sins. For men can neither render nor understand this love unless they believe the forgiveness of sins is received freely. To make it quite clear, um, how do you know you're saved? I'll give you two answers. You can say, because I love God, or you can say, because God loves me. (laughs) And you see the difference. I mean, it comes quite clear. All right, so no one loves as they ought. Next, love is impossible without faith in the forgiveness of sins through Christ. I mentioned that. Though they talk about this disposition of love, yet without the righteousness of faith, men can neither have nor understand the love of God. So you can't do it without faith. Next thing, love is even difficult for the saints. That is, those who have come to faith and believe, uh, yeah, it's hard. Even for the saints, it is hard to keep this faith, a faith which is supposed to produce love. For the ungodly, it's impossible. But, you know, for us, it's tough. Uh, as we have said before, it comes into being when terrified hearts hear the gospel and receive consolation. That's when it comes into being. We start to love, but, but it's hard. Uh, don't think this is an easy thing. Next thing, the love of neighbor uh, goes against our sinful nature. What do, what do we mean? Well, we all have a sinful nature, and our sinful nature doesn't want to love our neighbor. And so, that's why it's so hard. 
such is the nature, that sinful nature which we all have, that we all begrudge another's having as much as we have. Everyone acquires all he can and he lets others look out for themselves. We all pretend to be upright. <laughs> um, it says, yeah, that, that's, that's where if we love, we're going to have to fight our sinful nature. God's going to have to defeat it. We're going to have to confess the sins of our sinful nature and say no to it. So it, it's difficult, hard to do, and it's going to, it's, it's not natural, right? Pastor? Well, that's what I was going to say. I think it's easy to understand why people hate Lutheranism. Because this, what we're reading on this sheet of paper, basically is contrary to everything that we believe in our old nature. Because it's basically saying that I am unable to do anything for God. But he's done everything for me. And we don't like to hear that. Rachel? My mom's dying for me to bring up what we were discussing in the car this morning about how our uh, non-denominational relatives uh, talk about having to make him our Lord. Which only someone who's post-enlightenment could even think that that phrase makes any sense. Because you don't make someone your Lord. They are. That is just the way it is. But the idea that you have to somehow make yourself worthy of God's love is basically what that means. That isn't actually what they believe, but that's what that phrase means, really. Yeah. It's so bizarre and also impossible. Yeah. And you can't Next tell thing. them that. They don't understand they won't, it. No. Well, only the word, only the word of God can ever convince us. Can ever convince anybody. That's the problem. Why is the church in the United States in such bad shape? Because nobody uses the law and gospel. There are a few Lutherans that do that, but most of them don't. And even when they do, they change the meaning of the words. Well, <laughs> so up until here, we don't want to go there. Up, up until here, um, that is going to, and, and um, I mean, it, it, it definitely affects us, but. I'm going to say, yes, we can see it as well in, uh, in, in other denominations that, um, uh, that, 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 that don't teach us as we do. But from this point on, it's going to, and I'm going to say, um, the Lutheran church that I grew <coughs> up in, um, and, and from you know, my, my baptism at a month old, um, has shied away from the law, what we call antinomian, that is, against the law. And so, in our great desire to say no to those who say, you've got to do something to be saved, well, you've got to do something, you know, and always, and we keep saying, no, God, God, you know, and that's how we're saved. Nevertheless, this next part needs to be confessed without denying what happens before. So let me run through that. Having said... All of I, that I've said before, nevertheless, love follows faith. Yes, it follows justification. Love is a necessary fruit of the tree of faith. We say, the Lutherans say too, that love should follow faith. As Paul also says, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision is of any avail, but faith 
And it is a faith working through love. Love follows faith. When faith is there, it works love. So, amendment of life and the forsaking of sin would then follow. For these must be the fruits of repentance. As St. John says, bear fruit that befits repentance. Matthew 3, 8. Having said that, we can't do it of ourselves, and even of believers, it's tough to do. It says that believers do love. It follows the faith that they have. Next thing, we also teach that the love that follows faith should always... Can I finish those? Sure, go ahead. Love should always grow. It should get bigger. Not just, you don't go, well, I just... No, no. Therefore, we also hold that the keeping of the law, and that's, remember, if you could keep the law, you would love. So we hold that this love should begin in us, and it should increase more and more. But we mean to include both elements. We're not just talking about uh, uh, the outward, but we're talking about the inward spiritual impulses, the desires, we're talking about love, the inside, and the outward good works that are shown from those new desires that we have. Um, Our opponents slanderously claim that we do not require good works. So what happens? Well, we say love doesn't save. Love is not something that can justify. It doesn't make you righteous. Oh, you guys think that believers, you you don't ask believers to to do good works. You don't ask them to love. And we go, oh, yes. They're they're slanderously saying we don't. We do. Not only do we hold that it should follow, we say it should begin. The Lutherans go on to say, whereas we not only require the keeping of the law, we require love, but we show how they can be done. They don't do that. We show you how it really, you are able to do those things. Next thing. Uh, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> going too far now. Right. <laughs> In the gospel reading for this, mor- for, the, for this morning, the woman with the daughter who is, what is she? Demon-possessed. What? Demon-possessed. Demon-possessed, yeah, that's it. She Anyway... She goes to Jesus and says, Lord, help me. And then, then you have this. Notice this as, as you hear the sermon and the, the reading of the gospel. Lord, help me. And then Jesus basically ignores her. The apostles go nuts. Get rid of her. Oops, you know. And then, then, then she comes back and says, Lord, have mercy. Now, what's her good work? Repentance. Well, how do you know that's a good work? Because we're told to repent. Well, but, but, God but you just read, us when you it. read those words, do you think of that as a good work? Persistence. No. To see faith. See, what is that? This this poor woman who has nothing but a daughter. It signifies that he can do it. Right. It's her witness to Christ. Lord, have mercy. What's our witness to our neighbor? Could be, Lord, has mercy on us. It better be. Because if we come out and say to our neighbor, you shouldn't lay around in the backyard with no clothes on, 
<laughs> That's not a very good witness. In fact, it has nothing to do with Jesus. If they want to lay around in the backyard with no clothes on, that stuff, don't watch it. <laughs> Lord, forgive me. That's that's the main good work we need. And if you're you're witnessing to the to your neighbor, he knows what a sinner you are. And if you're going to have any influence on your neighbor at all, the first thing you have to do is apologize, confess your sin to him. Okay, now go ahead. Can I ask you about these neighbors you have? <laughs> What's your name? I've got to tell you, if my neighbors laid out in the backyard, that wouldn't be any temptation at all. <laughs> they're in worse shape than I am. You mean to tell me you wouldn't go out and join them? <laughs> all right. Love. We do teach that we should love. It should follow faith and our salvation. We do teach that this love towards God as well as to others should uh, should grow. It begins in us and it should increase. Next thing. Whoever loses love loses the Holy Spirit and faith. In this text, the Apology 4 says, Paul requires love. Again, just as we said before, we require it too. We require that faith produces love. If someone comes to me and says, Pastor, I, I have faith in Jesus. Um, I, I'm, I just don't love. Wait a minute. You know, I go, no, that's not faith. You know, well, I, I believe in Jesus. I just... Uh, run a house of prostitution. I go, no, that's not that's not faith. Um, uh, there needs to be a, an appropriate amendment of life, love that follows it. You're not saved by it. You don't trust in it, but it follows. Paul requires love. We require it too. We have said above that we should be renewed, renewed, changed. We should begin to keep the law. And we don't do it perfectly. We're not saying you have to keep it perfectly in order to be saved. No, no, no. But you, you do begin to keep it. According to the statement of Jeremiah, they point to the Old Testament for a love passage. I will put my law within their hearts. Whoever casts away love will not keep his faith, be it ever so great, because he will not keep the Holy Spirit. So, you come to faith, you attend church, and then uh, you cast away love. You throw away and, and decide, I'm going to embrace sin. I'm going to hold to it. I'm going to, uh, uh, if, if we want to use today's epistle passage where Paul is teaching about sanctification and, and being holy, where he talks about you need to maintain sexual purity and he says you need to maintain proper business practices, not uh, a steal from your neighbor. Those are the two piggies. Uh, you know, if you say, well, I am going to you know, uh, commit adultery, you will throw away your faith. Uh, if you do that and hold to that and continue to do that, um, you will not keep the Holy Spirit. If you cast away God's love for you and hold to that. If you say, I'm going to cheat and steal and I'm going to do that, you will lose faith. You will not keep it. 
It's not that those things save you, but those follow. Um, and so you're rejecting the Holy Spirit who is working in you. So whoever loses love loses the Holy Spirit in faith, so much so that we say, without love, faith is dead. They go on, uh, the Lutherans are talking about the converse that they have. They said, one party employed such words and formulas, things that they were saying, good works are necessary to salvation. Another one said, and it is impossible to be saved without works. And then there was those who said, no one has been saved without good works. They're going to deal with those, saying whether we ought to be talking that way or not. But what they do uh, uh, explain is that since good works are required of true believers as the fruits of faith, their fruit, they follow, and since faith without love is dead, although such love is not a cause of salvation. Faith without love is dead. Uh, if you say, I have faith, but I don't follow the word of God, I don't love my neighbor, I don't worship God, I, that, that's a dead faith. Uh, that's what James was uh, dealing with. Um, many misunderstand James. Uh, some think that he's saying, well, you got to have faith, and then you got to do loving works in order to be saved. That's not what James is dealing with. What James is dealing with is the person who says, I have faith, but I, I'm living an immoral life. And he says, that, that, and obviously you don't have faith, because faith includes repentance over sin. It's included in that, and love of Christ. Um, you can't be holding the forgiveness of sins if you're embracing your sins. So um, all of these need to be held up. They need to be maintained at the same time. We have to be careful as, as we speak about these things. So I wanted to, um, as we talk about these, um, we may need to return to the, uh, the pink sheet and say, all right, which one of these are we talking about uh, as we go through? Questions about those uh, statements uh, that I included uh, with, I could have done Bible passages, but I decided I'd just pull out uh, quotes from the Book of Concord. I went, I went to the back of the Book of Concord, the one that I have, the tablet one, uh, and it's got a index. So I looked up love, and it had categories, and then had listings. I didn't include all of them, but I thought, well, that was a, that was a pretty easy uh, way to kind of go, yeah, let's look at the whole thing of love. Question, comment. With uh, no one loves God as he ought. Yes, no one loves God as he ought. Is that in terms of coming to faith, or is that in terms of the Christian life after faith? Christian life after faith. That's what we're talking about. In other words, yes, we're going to say you ought to love because you have faith, but you need to know no one, we never love as much as we should. I mean, um, so so when the uh, the young man comes to Jesus and he says, uh, I, you know, uh, I've, been, I've done all this good, you know, what do I got to do? And Jesus tells him, you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. You need to love your neighbors yourself. And the guy says, yeah, I've done that since I was a youth. What else? <laughs> you have to go. You know, that wrong answer. You know, the answer is, yeah, we've never, uh, uh, we, we've never loved as we should. I, I'm, you know, don't say what. Well, yeah, I, I don't. I've never loved at any time. No, not true. Of course, 
um, as a believer, you're you're going to show forth love, but it's not good enough. In in all of Scripture, there's only one example of someone who loved God as He ought, and that was Christ. There are no other Bingo. examples of it. Bingo. In fact, there's no other examples of anybody even being close. That is true. It's just the first commandment. It's just the first commandment is what we're talking about. No one loves God sufficiently or whatever. But isn't that... Yes. You are right. And it's completeness. You are right. It's completeness. Exactly. Exactly. I guess that works out really well for us with the Ten Commandments in terms of God giving us this new faith to where we can love our neighbor and in some in some instances we go yeah I can love my neighbor in this instance and I can try to do this and try to do that and it's not a despair give up there's no, no hope for me to, to possibly love my neighbor and yet there is still constant failure and return to forgiveness right so so to, to, to make the illustration the opposite, if I'm going to, you know, what are we accused of? We're accused of saying, God loves to forgive and I love to sin. We just make a good pair. <laughs> That's the craziness of, you know, that one. Well, I just, I, I just keep, you know, or this, you know, well, well, why should I, you know, I'll just, I'll, I'll just go to confession. <coughs> I'll just keep sinning and, you know, God likes that. That works out real well. Absolutely not. Um, you know, we, we strive to do this. We try to do it. Sometimes we do it. We begin to do it. We ought to do more and more as you receive the word of God. And as you, will you ever be perfect? No. Will it always be an upward? No, it's not going to. Not. It, it won't. Sometimes it'll surprise you. It'll surprise you. Someone will say to you, Really? Yeah, that guy did that to you. Why do you still, you know, treat him well, love him? Why do you still do that? And uh, I can't believe you do that. You kind of go, yeah, I can't believe I do either. I <laughs> um, you know, God's changed me. Uh, uh, I, I used to, you know, not do that. Um, and so who gets the credit? God. All right. I knew it would take us. A while. <laughs> That's why I introduced that. But, uh, again, we're going to come back to those things uh, as we do. If you take a look at the pages that you had for last time, uh, this will be on page three, if I remember. Um, yep, page three, where we have believers love for God. I went through Deuteronomy 5 last time. We see that the God who brought us out of Egypt, the God who did all these things for us, uh, what about him? Well, let's take a look at that passage. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Karen, first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the sea. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, 
but showing mercy, that hesed, to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. It describes believers as those who love him. He describes believers as those who keep his commandments. I mean, it's really the same thing, but it, it puts it together. Now, once again, do we keep the commandments perfectly? No. We don't love God perfectly. No. Um, but uh, uh, the ones who have received his mercy, the mercy that he's shown to us, they will exhibit this fruit um, from them. Do unbelievers keep the commandments? Never. Never. Do they love him? Never. You can't without faith. And so, those who, you know, hate him, that's, there's only two options, um, according to this, according to this. There's either those who hate or those who love. Believers hate. They're impossible. They couldn't do that. Believers love imperfectly us. You know, um, we don't trust them. We don't, but, but they do. Um, and so he describes us in the terms of the fruits of, of faith. Deuteronomy 6.5 You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. I added this. It's not in, in your thing. I, I realized later as I was putting this together that that would be helpful. In fact, um, it would be helpful to give you uh, the next part. Uh, which is in between this, Deuteronomy 11. Again, I'm not giving you all of them, but I'm, I'm pulling out the ones that are either not repetition, but, but teach us something new. Deuteronomy 11, I got 16, 18, and 22. It says, Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and Bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. In verse 22, for if you carefully keep all these commandments, which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him. Note the connection with the heart. Um, this, uh, when he's talking about those who who love me and keep my commandments. And then, here when he's talking about love, he talks about with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then he talks about in your heart. And then here he talks about we need to watch out. We need to examine ourselves. We need to take heed to ourselves. What's the problem? Lest the heart be deceived, tricked, into doing what? Not listening to the word. More than that. Well, serving other gods. True. Serving other gods. Yeah. And then the fruits of that, when you serve other gods, you sin. Yes. Uh, um, and so, what it is pointing to is, remember as we had with love, you had a, uh, an inward and an, and an outward kind of thing. When we're talking about this, Luther says in the large catechism, everyone has a God. Everyone has a God. The atheist has a God. Everyone has a God. It's what you trust in. Just give me a little bit, 
Let me talk to you a little bit, and I'll find what you trust. You might say, well, I don't trust in uh, an organized religion God. I don't know. Yeah, I know. What, let's see what you do trust in. You might trust in your own smarts. You might trust in your money. You might trust in uh, principles. You might trust in your character. You might trust whatever. There's something you're trusting in. Um, where is that trust? We would say it comes from, and we would say from within, this faith, this trust, is not an outward, it's an inward thing. And the inward thing causes the outward serving. And so what's he concerned about? He's concerned about uh, that you have faith in other gods. Well, when we come up here and it's talking about uh, what's he going to do? I'm going to put in your heart. He's, he, first, God puts Christ in our heart. He, he changes our will so that we trust in Christ we don't trust in other gods. And then, once we have faith, trust in Christ, it leads us to love Christ in return. It leads us to love our neighbor and, uh, because of what God has done. So in this passage, when it talks about we are the, uh, uh, the ones who love him, it's because what's happened. God has put that love in us. When he created faith in us... That uh, love is his word. Is his gift to us. It's his word. Well, his word gives us the gift. Verse 6. Verse 6. Deuteronomy 5. And these words which I command you today shall be in your... These words, right. But that means that the heart will trust in the words... Because they're there. Because they're there, right. And so we have that, absolutely. So, um, this... Uh, when we come back up to oh the heart, um, right your heart and soul, or to love me uh, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Normally, when we talk about uh, the heart, we're talking about uh, the uh, seed of the uh, emotions in this world. When we're talking about the soul, we're talking about spiritually speaking, the the center of what comes from us. And then the strength comes from both of those. It's simply letting us know that there is no sphere of activity in which God uh, does not. Um, God has dominion over. You, know, you raised your hand, and so all I can think of Sorry. is Lord. <laughs> God, there is no sphere in which God is not Lord, in which He is not in charge. You, 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 you don't have this kind of, well, just a little bit, or just in this area, or I love God when I'm at church, or I, I love God, well, not in my business, but in my marriage. You know, there's nothing. Uh, in other words, that you shall have no other gods, first commandment, God gives us faith, and it's completely in him. God gives us love. And it is completely in him, with all your heart, with all your soul, with with all your strength. More than that, that which he does, uh, he's going to put it in us so that we start... Well, You're looking for the therefore you shall. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm pushing forward to... Um, and, and I'm going to have to stop there, get a question or whatever, but... 
um, I'll get to next time. Note as we put, go forward, we're going to find that Deuteronomy 36, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God. That's one of them. There's another one that's even clearer. What it's going to say is this. God moves you to love him. God gives you a new heart so that you love your neighbor. When you love God, you say, all thanks be to God, he gave me that love. When you love your neighbor... You give credit to God. Because that now, do does love follow faith? Yes. Why? Because God does it. He put it in us. He's He's doing it. Um, so it's not I believe, ooh, now I gotta work on this love and I, I got no. I, I God gives me faith and, and now his love is through the word is going to work through me. It's difficult because i got to fight the simple nature, but God is the one that works this love. You had a, a question or a comment? I was thinking that what a beautiful argument this is for the liturgy, for hymns, for learning the Psalms, because then the word of God is right there when you need it to keep your very sinful and changeable heart from convincing the rest of you that God has changed. keeping me and my commandments or loving me and my commandments it's talking about the whole world word when it talks about my commandments right? it is I mean it definitely includes the commandments but it includes the whole word um. the other interesting point is here God will circumcise your heart and your descendants how all of that works together into the thing of the third and fourth generation how does he deal with your descendants? Um, I'll try to remember to bring that up. Um, because as we go forward next time, the passage in the pink sheet in which it says that, not only do we require love, but we teach how it may be done, we're going to get to that. And it, it relates to these passages. And again, I'm doing it with the Old Testament kind of thing. I, I, I think it presents to us a little something in different words that maybe will be a little more rememberable, uh, memorable. But so we're going to see how do we do this? Uh, it comes through repentance. That's how it comes. Uh, what Pastor Rune was saying at, at the beginning, the, through the confession of sins, through that. This is the way that God does that thing which is difficult even for believers to do, but he does it. That's the way he does it. So we're going to come back to that and show about how do I love God in return. Um, so we'll take a look at, at page six on your white sheets, and then we'll, uh, uh, with the study after that, talk about loving our, our neighbor. The, the, the point that I was trying to make is, therefore... Deuteronomy 11. Therefore you shall lay up these words in your heart and in your soul and bind them as a sign, not to somebody else but to yourself, as a sign of your on your hand, that they shall be fauntless between your eyes so that you know where God wants you to go because you don't want to go there. That's the whole point of that. Moses is telling the Israelites 
They worship Yahweh. They don't worship these other foreign gods. And the way that he's telling them how to worship Yahweh rather than these other gods is in the word. Simply put, to love God is to have faith in him and he will teach us by his word what it means to walk in his ways. That's the proper love. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have loved us and that by your love for us, uh, you provided a Savior. Help us always to cling to him in, in true faith uh, as well as to show forth uh, that love which you have placed in us uh, in our love towards you as well as in our love towards our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.